Today, we're in week four of a mini-series that's part of a bigger series that we're in. The bigger series is called Different. We started late last year. We're working line by line through the Gospel of Matthew. And then about four weeks ago, when the war in Israel broke out, and situations like that stir up a lot of interest in uh, the end of days and last things and Bible prophecy. And so knowing that, I thought, well, this may be an opportunity for us just to pause where we are in Matthew. At that time, that was Matthew 13. And to fast forward to Matthew 24 and 25, because Matthew 24, 25 is a private sermon that Jesus is having with four of his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And the topic that he's addressing in that smaller sermon is the end time. So we're calling this mini-series The End Days According to Jesus. But it's taken us four weeks to kind of get there. We're not even gonna quite get there today. We started with week one just trying to understand a little bit about, okay, where's this conflict coming from in the Middle East? And so we, we traced some of that, unpacked a little bit of that, and shared some scriptures out of the Old Testament that God has said, promises he's made to his people Israel. And then on week two, we really trace the history out of the Old Testament of the Jewish people and trace the history of the Arab people or some would say the, the Palestinian people. And then last week, we took a great deal of time to talk about why God isn't finished with Israel yet. Even though, as we read in Matthew 21, 22, and 23, there we find Jesus really kind of setting Israel aside. He's turning his attention from them. He tells them that, that I'm, I'm leaving you desolate. I'm giving the kingdom to a, another group of people right now. But Paul says, here's how Paul says it. Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so this is a temporary setting aside of Israel. It's a temporary turning of his attention from Israel to, as Paul calls it, the fullness of the Gentiles, which I think is another way of saying the church. That's what I think Paul has in view, is that now the good news of the gospel and the kingdom of God is going to be offered to not just Jewish people, but to non-Jewish people called Gentiles as well. And so I think that's what Paul is saying, is, is now it's being given to this group of believers that we know as the church. And that's when the Gentiles, time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled, when Jesus has finished doing what he promised in Matthew 16 to do. In Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. And when his church is built, that'll be the completion of the time of the Gentiles. And then I believe according to God's word, he will turn his attention back to Israel again, specifically for seven years. Now look, Jesus has been building his church for the last 2,000 years. We've been in that time of the Gentiles. How do you know when the fullness of that time has come? How will you know when Jesus has completely finished the building of his church. Well, as I told you last week, I believe that there is an event that could happen at any moment that will be the completion of Jesus building his church. It will be the finishing work of the the time of the Gentiles, and that's often referred to, that event that could happen at any moment is often referred to as the rapture. So let's first talk about that. I know some are thinking, hey, he's finally gonna get there today. I think think we're finally gonna get there today too. I've been telling you we would, and maybe we're here today. So Let's talk about what the rapture is. Now, some people would say there really is no such a thing. They would say that the word rapture is nowhere found in the Bible. And that's true. You don't find the word rapture in the Bible. Neither do you find the word Bible in the Bible or the word Trinity in the Bible, nor do you find the word gravity or grandfathers. But just because we don't find certain English words in our English Bibles is not enough reason to say, well, those things aren't real. We, we know gravity's real. And we know grandfathers are real. So let me show you where we get our word rapture from. First Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna spend some time in there today. We'll jump out of it some. We'll go back to it. So get there now and stick something in there so you can get back to it quickly. First Thessalonians chapter four. Verse 17, I wanna show you where this word rapture comes from. First Thessalonians 4, 17, Paul is writing to a group of believers at a church in, in an ancient place called Thessalonica, and he's saying to them, then we who are alive, they've got questions. They've got questions about, hey, we're expecting Jesus to come, but we've had loved ones that have died. What if we die? What's gonna happen? Are these people gonna miss out when Jesus comes back? And Paul's addressing that, and he says, then we who are alive and remain, 
shall be caught up. That word caught up is where we get our word rapture. He says, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That phrase caught up in the Greek and Greek is the language that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this in 1 Thessalonians 4. That Greek word is the word harpazo, harpazo. It means to be snatched violently, to be snatched up aggressively. That word harpazo in the Greek, when they translated the Greek New Testament into Latin, the Latin word for that is raptura. And then when we translated English from that, raptura obviously is where we get our word rapture. So it means, harpazo or rapture means to snatch by force, to snatch up in kind of an aggressive sort of way. Listen, if you're a mom or a dad today, you get that, right? There, there, there's been moments that we just had to snatch a kid up, you know, hopefully it was your kid that you had to snatch up in a moment, right? But, but think about this. If you're with your child, you're in a, a big city or a place where there's a lot of traffic and busy intersection, and all of a sudden, your child pulls away from you. They start darting out into traffic, and you see a rapidly oncoming bus. Guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna aggressively, with force, immediately snatch them, right? I think this is the idea that we're talking about. You're gonna snatch them up aggressively, forcefully, quick, and in a hurry. The Bible uses this same word in other places, for example, Matthew 13, this is where we were when we paused our study in the book of Matthew. You heard this, and, and the word harpazo was there. You just didn't know it because we we're reading out of the English. Matthew 13, 19 says this, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away. That's harpazo, raptures away, grabs it violently, forcefully, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Here's another example, John chapter 10. Verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep. Harpazo, rapture, violently, aggressively snatches the sheep and scatters them. Those are two negative examples of that word. Let me give you a really good positive example. At least if you know Jesus today, this should be an encouragement to you. John chapter 10. Verse 28, Jesus says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can harpazo, raptura, rapture, violently snatch you out of Jesus's hand today if you are in a relationship with Jesus. He goes on in verse 29 and says, and my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them, there it is again, snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Good news for today if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus says you're in my hand and nobody can rapture you out of my hand and my hand is in the father's hand so you're doubly sealed up. Nobody can snatch you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is doing in 1 Thessalonians chapter four is he is telling us that there is a day that's coming. And I believe Paul's belief as it is mine is that this day could come at any time now, any moment, but there's a day coming that Jesus is going to come in the air and with force he is going to snatch his church up out of this world. That's what we're talking about today. When we talk about the rapture. Now I want you to see how Paul describes this event. 1 Thessalonians four is where we are. Again, the Christians there in Thessalonica, they were expecting Jesus at any time. They had concerns about family and friends that they had buried. They had, had funerals for them. They had lowered their bodies in the grave, and they were concerned, what about me? What if, what if I die before Jesus comes back? Am I gonna miss out on the return of Jesus? What's, what's gonna happen here? So Paul's writing to them to help them understand what's gonna happen when Jesus appears. I think this is interesting, y'all. Nowhere does Paul tell them to not look for Jesus. He doesn't tell them, hey, you're so silly. You're looking for Jesus. That's a waste of time. You should look for signs. He doesn't tell them that. He doesn't tell them you should look for the Antichrist. He doesn't tell them that. They are expecting to see Jesus at any moment, and Paul only encourages them that that's the right place to be. That's the right place person, that's the right thing that they ought to be looking for. Paul wanted to keep them expecting Jesus at any moment. First Thessalonians 4.13, he says, but I do not want you to be 
ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He's not talking about people in church when he says those who've fallen asleep. It's like today in our language, we say so-and-so passed away. 2,000 years ago, they said they went to sleep. So Paul said, I don't want you to be unaware about your family, your friends who've passed away, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Paul says, listen, if you're a believer and you've buried a believer, are you sad? Yes. Is there sorrow? Yes. Are you grieving? Yes. But you are not sad like those who don't know Jesus. You're not sorrowing. Your grief is not like those who have no hope. He says, verse 14, because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, watch this, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, most of you are familiar with hearing about Jesus coming, but this may be a newsflash to you, that when Jesus comes, he's not coming alone. Paul just said he's bringing those believers who have already died, he's bringing them back with him when he comes. Now they may have been thinking, like some of you may be thinking, well how is that possible? Because we had the funeral. We saw their body in the casket. We lowered it in the ground. So how are they gonna come from heaven with Jesus if they're in the ground? Well, here's, here's where I need to remind you, we're not bodies with souls. We're souls that have a body. Paul says about those bodies of believers, well, he says this, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord, that's right. Here's the deal, in the garden, what did God do? God formed a human body, didn't he? Out of dirt. But it was just a body. But then the Bible says, God stooped down and he breathed his very own breath into that body. And the Bible says that body became a living soul. I'm not making it up. Some of you are looking at me like you're making that up. No, it's in the Bible. Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 7 says, and Yahweh God, some of y'all get that. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Listen, God made our bodies out of dust, but he made our souls out of heaven. He made our souls out of the breath of his own lungs and the breath of God is eternal. That means that your soul and my soul, unlike these bodies, these bodies are temporary, they're just made from the old dust of this earth, but God has breathed his life-giving eternal breath into us. That's where our souls come from. So what Paul is saying is when your loved one who's a follower of Jesus dies, their body goes in the ground, but in that very moment that the soul departs, I don't know exactly when that is, but the real them, the real them goes to be with the Lord because that's where their soul came from. Their body came from this, but their soul came from God in heaven. And when Jesus comes back, this is what Paul just said, he's bringing those people with him when he comes back. And he's gonna raise up their old bodies. And in an instant, he's gonna make those old bodies new bodies changed bodies. Listen, we're not gonna be disembodied for all of eternity. I have no desire to be a little Casper forever. Zero desiring me to be some little angel with wings and a bow and arrow, making people randomly fall in love. Don't care a thing about that. Don't even like harp music. If you're into that, cool with me, but I'm not wanna pluck on one for all of eternity. The reason that doesn't appeal to us is because it's not supposed to. God didn't, listen, you don't become an angel. I just wanna be clear about that. It kind of drives me a little batty. I, I show grace, I understand, hey, you're grieving, you're mourning. Somebody says, well, now they're an angel. No, they're not. God made angels, God made people. They're two distinct creations that God has made. This is good news for us. We're, we're gonna have a real body, and we need a real body because we're gonna live on a real earth forever, and, and we're gonna enjoy the realness of a real earth and our real body. So God's gonna raise up their old bodies. And, and some of you are thinking, well, 
What if I get cremated? I get that question asked a whole lot. What if I'm cremated? Or what about people who've been dead for so long there's really nothing left of them? Guys, do you really think God's going, oh man, that's gonna be tough. <laughs> They've been dead a long time. No, listen, he created everything from nothing. There was no time, space, and matter. And he just spoke. And time and space and all matter came into existence. It's not gonna be difficult for God to raise people from the dead. He'll call us back together, new bodies. This is what Paul is saying, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I love that. You know, across the years here, I don't know how many funerals I've conducted, how many tears have been shed, how many hugs. I, 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 don't, I couldn't count it. But I'm excited to think that there's a day coming that when Jesus comes, he's bringing back with him those that have gone before. Paul goes on, he says, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain. Paul anticipated, I may be alive when this happens. Here we are 2,000 years later. How much more should you and I be thinking, I might be alive when this happens? Frankly, I do think I'm gonna be alive when this happens. You say, well, everybody's probably thought that. I got 2,000 years of better reasons to think that than Paul even had, right? And he was way smarter than me. Paul says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, who are dead, because the Lord himself will descend from heaven. The Lord himself, he's not even sending somebody, he's coming himself. He's gonna descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. This is Paul's going, this is a big deal. He's coming himself, and there's shouting, and there's archangels, there's a trumpet blast of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. Harpazo, raptura, rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Because that's good news, right? And if you're going, hey, well, that, you know, I mean, that's a, you really think that's gonna happen, that God would really rapture people? Not only do I believe that he will, I believe he already has. Have you ever read the story of Enoch? He walked with God. And then one day, God snatched him up and took him to heaven. You ever read the story of Elijah? One day he's out there serving the Lord and then all of a sudden God sends a Uber <laughs> in the form of a heavenly chariot and he raptures him. He goes into heaven to be with the Lord. What about Jesus? Did he not experience the rapture? He rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. So we're not talking about something that's never happened. It has already happened. But it's gonna happen again, and it's gonna happen on a much larger scale. And Paul says, be comforted and comfort one another with these words. So now that we know a little bit about what rapture is, it is this aggressively, any moment, Jesus aggressively snatching his people, his church, his bride out of this world to be with him. Let's now answer this question, why? Why is he gonna do that? Why is that necessary? Why does that have to happen? I'll give you a few reasons. Number one is this, because that is gonna complete the fullness of the Gentiles that the scriptures already talked about. This, this season we're in called the church age where God has set Israel aside and the gospel has gone to every tongue and tribe and nation. The rapture is gonna bring the time of the Gentiles to a close. Let me remind you what Paul said last week, Romans eleven twenty five. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so you'll not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Look, when, when Jesus set Israel aside in Matthew 21, 22, and 23, he told them, I'm giving the kingdom to the nations of the earth, to other people. And, and listen, know this, this wasn't, this wasn't Jesus going to plan B. This wasn't Jesus going, gosh, I never thought, I never could imagine that my own people would have rejected me, so now I gotta draw up, I gotta call an audible, right? I mean, gotta have a plan B. No, that's not what happened. Let me remind you, nobody can stop the plans of God. He's never had one single plan that's ever been stopped. I love what the Bible says in Job, that 
His plans cannot be thwarted. Listen, this had been the plan of God all along before he spoke all that space, time, and matter into existence. His plan was to work through the rejection of the Israelites to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And then, so that at least in part, through the salvation of the Gentiles, he would be able to bring the Jewish people back in. This has been his plan all his long. Now us Gentiles, we really kind of come into the story in Acts chapter two. Anybody remember what happens in Acts chapter two? It's the beginning of the, the church. That's right, Acts chapter two. As Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven, feels and dwells the hearts of the believers there. That's the birthday of the church. Think about that, y'all. The church was born because God descended. Holy Spirit, God descended. And the church will be complete when God descends once again, but this time it will be Jesus, the second person of the triune God. A descending God to his people bookends our story, church. Now you ought to feel pretty doggone special right about now that you got into this because the Holy Spirit descended and we're gonna get out of this and go home because Jesus himself is gonna descend from heaven. Bookended on both sides. And I wanna remind you that for me, at least, I understand biblically the rapture and the second coming of Jesus are two different events. Not everybody agrees on that. I love you and respect you if you see it otherwise. But this is where I land. I just wanna kind of remind you. I'll put up here on the screen so you can see what I believe the difference is here. In the rapture, the Lord's gonna meet believers in the air. In the second coming, the Lord's not gonna stay in the air. He's coming all the way. He's gonna land on the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, only believers are gonna see the Lord. But in the second coming, all humanity will see the Lord. In the rapture, Jesus comes for his bride, but at the second coming, Jesus comes with his bride. The rapture could happen at any moment. The second coming, it will happen at the end of the tribulation. There's no signs to watch for about the rapture. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament, but the second coming, there's many signs to watch for, and it's often mentioned in the Old Testament. The rapture will be joyous for believers, the second coming will be a time of mourning for the unsaved. The rapture, we see Jesus coming as a groom. The second coming, Jesus is coming as king. The rapture is followed by the tribulation. The second coming is followed by the millennial kingdom. So I'm asking, you asked me the question. I didn't hear you, but I know you were asking me the question. Pastor, why does the rapture have to happen? I'm telling you, number one is to complete the fullness of the Gentiles. Secondly, the rapture has to happen to rescue the church from the oncoming wrath of God. I told you, if your child pulled away from you, darts out into traffic, you're gonna snatch them up because that bus is coming. Well, I'm telling you, the Bible's clear that the bus of the wrath of God is coming full speed for this world. But I believe the Bible teaches that God is going to snatch us out of the way of his oncoming wrath. When we get next week, Lord willing, to Matthew 24, Matthew 25, parallels Revelation 6 through 19, those passages of scripture paint a picture for us of what this world's gonna be like when Jesus has snatched the church out of here and the wrath of God comes crashing in for those seven years. The first three and a half years of that, his wrath, you might say, is kind of a passive sort of wrath. But then at that halfway mark, it's full on active wrath of God, outpouring of his wrath. Now here's the good news today for you. If you're a follower of Jesus today, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation, none for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus on the cross, he got hit by the bus of the oncoming wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. He stepped in between us and the oncoming wrath of God. He bore the wrath for your sin and for my sin. The book of Revelation, I think, even the way it's constructed, the way it is laid out there, points to the fact that the church won't be here when God's wrath is poured out for those seven years of tribulation. Here's why I say that. Revelation 1, 2, and 3 is all about the church and specific local churches. You can do a count and you'll find the word church 19 times in those first three chapters. 
But when you get to Revelation 6, which is where the tribulation begins in Revelation, it ends in chapter 19, across all of those chapters from 6 to 19, there's not one mention of church in those scriptures that are describing the time of tribulation. It doesn't make sense to me that we would go from very detailed instructions to the church in the first three chapters but from six to 19 that tell us about the most cataclysmic time on earth, there wouldn't be one mention of the church in that. It doesn't make sense to me if we would be here for that and God wouldn't have something to say for us about living and navigating during that time. But we get complete silence across those chapters. Let me show you a couple of others. First Thessalonians chapter one. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine. Paul says, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God. He's talking to the believers at Thessalonica. You turn from God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. Now, he didn't say you're waiting for signs to be fulfilled. He didn't say you're waiting to see the Antichrist. He said you're waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who, watch this, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let me show you another one, chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine, just turn the page. First Thessalonians five, nine, Paul says to the same group of people, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're saying, okay, pastor, why has the rapture gotta happen? Well, one, I think that's, to complete the fullness of the Gentiles. Two, I think the rapture's gotta happen to rescue the church from the oncoming wrath of God. He's snatching us up out of here. Three, I think the rapture's gotta happen because Jesus promised us that it would. Jesus promised us that it would. Let me show you, John 14, one. All those funerals I preach, this is usually one of the places I go, scriptures that I go to, because it's so beautiful, so filled with hope. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his own death. He's preparing them to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's preparing them for the grief and sorrow they're about to experience. And here's what he says to them. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and I will receive you. I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now look, we, we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, what Paul says about the rapture. Here's what's really interesting. If you take what Paul says about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, and you lay it next to what Jesus just said in John chapter 14, man, they parallel. Let me show you. Put these side by side. John 14, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Paul talks about sorrow. Jesus says believe. Paul used the same word. Jesus talks about believe in God, believe also in me. Paul says, Jesus and God. Jesus said, told you, I would have told you. Paul says, I say to you. Jesus says, come again. Paul says, coming of the Lord. Jesus says, receive you. Paul says, caught up. Jesus says, to myself. Paul says, to meet the Lord. Jesus says, to be where I am. And Paul says, to ever be with the Lord. I love that because I think Jesus is the first person to ever talk about the rapture. And Paul picks up on it and he unpacks it really just the way that Jesus had laid it out for his disciples in John chapter 14. So what are we talking about? We're talking about why has the rapture gotta happen? It's gotta happen because it's gonna complete the fullness of the Gentiles. It's gonna happen to rescue the church from the oncoming wrath of God. It's gonna happen because Jesus promised us that it would happen. And number four, it's gonna happen to complete the work of salvation in us. Listen, I know most of us in the room today would say, I'm saved. I'm saved too. But I'm not fully saved yet. Neither are you. Now let me explain. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 14 says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Listen, the fact, it is a fact that Jesus died and rose again. That's called the gospel. So Paul says, if you believe the gospel, if you believe the gospel today, if you believe that Jesus died and rose, in other words, you're saved. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, since you believe the gospel, you believe Jesus died and rose again, then you can believe he's coming back. 
because we have believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead, because you and I have placed our faith and trust in the gospel, Scott, there's three great things that have happened, are happening, will happen, because God has saved us through faith in him, through the gospel, all right? These are three churchy words, but hang with me, all right? Because of our faith in Jesus, because of the gospel, today we have been justified. We have justification. We are getting sanctified, and we will be glorified. Now, some of you are checking out, oh, big churchy words, I'm out. Hang with me. Here's what I mean by that. Because we believe Jesus died and rose again. How many believe that? How many believe the gospel? You're saved. Praise the Lord. Amen? Because of that, we have justification from God. Jesus has freed us. This is what justification means. Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin. That's why we can say there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we have received our justification from God. We've been justified. Here's a little cheat code for how you can remember what that means. Justified now means God looks at me justified, never sinned. Does that make sense? The way God looks at me now in Christ, it's as if I'd never sinned. My sin is gone. He's thrown it as far as the east is from the west. But on top of that, he's given me, he's imputed to me, he's credited to me the righteousness of Jesus. Because I have believed, and you have believed that Jesus died and rose again, you believe the gospel, we have justification from God. Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin. At the same time, because we believe the Bible, we are receiving our sanctification. Now that's not over yet. Sanctification is a process. Jesus is freeing us. Right now in this moment, he is progressively freeing us from sin's power. He is progressively in this very moment, if you're a child of God, conforming you more and more to the image of Jesus. This is a process that's gonna continue until you and I stand face to face before God. This is happening in my life, and if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's happening in your life because your faith in the gospel, that Jesus died and was rose again. So we have justification, we have uh, Jesus freed us from sin's penalty, sanctification, he's freeing us from sin's power, and at the rapture, at the rapture, we're gonna get that last part of our salvation, it's called glorification. At the rapture, our glorification is gonna happen. Jesus, in that moment, will free us once and for all from sin's presence and from sin's curse. Listen, I'm saved and I'm being sanctified, but man, I still deal with the presence of sin. I still deal with the curse of sin. It's, it still hounds me, it still haunts me. Any of y'all relate to what I'm talking about? Like it's still very prevalent in my life. It's why you moaned when you got out of bed this morning. That's just a reminder that we are broken and fallen in our sinful state. But at the moment of the rapture, we will receive our glorification. We're not there yet. Right now, we're deeply flawed, y'all. You are more flawed than you know because you can't conceive of what being glorified is like. You can't fully appreciate just how deeply flawed you and I are as sinful, broken creatures before God. But we are flawed deeply in every way, physically and mentally and Spiritually and emotionally and relationally, sin has damaged everything about us and everything that we are about. In the very beginning, God put his glory on us. He put his glory on mankind in the garden. But all that came crashing down, didn't it? When Adam turned from God, went his own way, sinned against God. But here's the good news. Jesus, the second Adam, has come into our world to restore, restore it and to redeem it and to return me and you to the glory that God had always intended for us to live in and with. Listen, I want you to hear how Paul describes the moment, guys, that we get our glory back. It's not our glory, it's God's glory. But we get the glory of God back in full, on us and in us and through us and around us, listen to how Paul describes that moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. He says, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Who was the man of dust? Adam. We, we've been living like that sucker. Flawed and broken and separated from God in our sin. He says, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? 
That's Jesus. We were created in his image, don't get me wrong, but the moment sin came into the world, the image of God, the glory of God in us, through us, on us was distorted. It was marred, but at the rapture, that distortion of the glory of God in us, on us, through us, is gonna be removed. The distortion is gonna be gone, and we will once again shine forth with the glory of God as we were intended to. Here's what Paul goes on to say, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Did you know this? You may have asked Jesus in your heart, but you can't go to heaven like you sit here today. You can't do it. I've been forgiven of my sin. I'm being sanctified. The Holy Spirit's in me. But I cannot step in to the very presence of God in glory right now in the condition that I'm in here right now. That's what Paul just said. I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. There has to be a change in us. Thank God through the gospel we have our justification and we're getting our sanctification, but the gospel has to finish its work of glorification. There has to be change in us through and through. Our former glory has to be restored and God is gonna do that at the rapture. Verse 51, or perhaps if I don't get to live to, be, to see the rapture, but I get to heaven, I stand before the Lord, I'll experience that way, but I'm gonna see it, it's gonna happen. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Paul just said, we're not all gonna die, we're not all gonna pass away. Again, if Paul's thinking that 2,000 years ago, how much more am I going, hey, we're not all gonna, fall, we're not all gonna die. I believe that. Some of y'all should be really happy. I'm not gonna preach your funeral. How many of you just believe I'm not gonna preach your funeral? Preacher, some of y'all, some of y'all already making advanced plans. Some of y'all come into go, hey, I just want you to know when that day comes, I want you to preach my funeral. Hey man, where's your faith? All right, Paul says, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the Greek word there for twinkling of an eye is the word atomos, atomos, is where we get our word atom. In other words, Paul is saying, no matter how thinly you might be able to slice time, I'm telling you, when this change happens, there's no shutter speed on the best of cameras that are gonna be able to capture this moment. Like so often when I'm doing these funerals, I'm in the cemetery, I'm thinking, man, now would be the great time to go. I like the front row seat to the cemetery is busting open, right? But the reality is, it's not really gonna be like that. We won't even, it'll be so fast. And an atomos at the last trumpet. He says the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. Say right now we are corruptible. That's why you're sniffing. I heard you. That's why you're coughing. All right, that's why you're hurting. But we're gonna be raised incorruptible. And he says and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this, this corruptible is so good. This corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, that's who you are right now, this mortal body that I have must put on immortality. What's corruptible and mortal can't be in heaven for all of eternity. There's gotta be a final work of salvation where what's corruptible becomes incorruptible, what's mortal becomes immortal. Verse 54, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immorality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, listen, we have no idea. Like right now, we sing, oh, victory in Jesus. But I'm telling you, the day that we experienced glorification and our salvation is a victory that you and I can't even right now fathom because we haven't put that on yet. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. See, the victory's not just in your justification. It's not, it's not just in your sanctification. It's finally, decisively, ultimately in our glorification with God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're asking me today, and I'm pretty sure you're asking me, why do I think the rapture has to happen? It's gotta happen to complete the fullness of the Gentiles. It's gotta happen to rescue the church from the coming wrath of God. It's gotta happen because Jesus promised us that it would happen, and it's gotta happen to complete the work of salvation in us. So, so we've talked today, you've done good, class. We've talked today about what the rapture is. We've talked today about why the rapture has to happen. Now here's the last question I need you to ask me. Pastor, when is it gonna happen? 
Go ahead, Ashley. At any moment. At any moment. It's going to happen. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't believe God would have us living out our days looking for signs, but to be living out our days looking for our Savior. To not live out our days looking for signs of the Antichrist, but to be looking for Christ himself to appear. And I do, I do. Man, I do. I believe we're gonna see him any moment. And if you believe that today, and then there's three good things that ought to be happening today in our hearts and in our minds if we really believe that. One is this. It should give us peace. When Paul unpacked this for a local church, he said, now comfort one another with this. Speak this to each other. Remind people, remind Sarah that you'll see Carl again not too long from now, right? He says, encourage each other with these words. Listen, if you know the Lord today, what we have talked about today will keep your heart from being troubled. It won't keep you from troubling times, but it can keep you from having a troubled heart in troubling times because you know that he's faithful. Are we gonna have pain and sorrow in this life? Yes, 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 lots of it. Are we gonna grieve in this life? Yes, more than we care to, but we will not grieve. We will not sorrow like those without Jesus. We have hope, and they don't. I can't even fathom what it's like to grieve without any hope. Now, I've buried people that I thought, I don't know if they really knew the Lord or not. A lot of you have buried people that you said, I, I don't think they knew the Lord. But because of Jesus, there's always some hope. We just don't know, do we, what might have happened in somebody's dying breath. Now, I'd say to you, don't, walk, don't leave this world with that big a question mark over your life. All right, don't do that. But because of Jesus, we have hope today. I want to read you a long passage of scripture, but I, it just stuck with me all week as I worked on this. Paul says, and we know. I love that. I love it when I've walked along some, some of y'all when all hell's been breaking loose in your life and you just said, but I know. But I know. This is what I feel, this is what's happening, but I know. I know, Paul says, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, whom he called, these he justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. By the way, I just wanna remind you, if you got justified, you're gonna get glorified. He doesn't drop anybody in between being saved and getting home. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Paul's, Paul's pumped right now. He's pumped. He's just read this. He's like, now what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What are you worried about? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? What are you worried about? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. That means he's praying right now for you. In this moment, he's praying for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that was in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, either go all in or don't. I mean, I'm just saying, if you don't. Because if you don't, my assumption is we are Baptists to the bone and we're, a, we're clapping our hands bloody quietly in our heart, all right? 
Here's what I want you to know this morning. If you're a child of God right now, the Bible just told us Jesus is praying for you right now. The only thing that's gonna cause him to stop praying for you is when his father says to him, go get him. Bring him home. You are either being prayed for by Jesus or you're being caught up to Jesus by Jesus. That's it. That gives us peace. The second thing that all this should do, it should give us a passion. It should give us a passion for people who don't know Jesus. If we really believe that at any moment Jesus is coming for us, then why aren't we making sure that we're doing all that we can do, that everybody that we cross paths with has an opportunity to know the truth about Jesus? How can we say, I really believe that. Oh, I'm clapping, and I really believe that, yes. But we never tell anybody. Our actions betray our applause. Our actions betray what we're saying. There ought to be a real passion in us if we believe this, that there's a whole lot of people that they're not ready for that day. And right now, maybe you even have somebody's name or their face in your mind as we talk about this. The Holy Spirit's just going, I want you to make sure they know about me. Would you, would you just decide you're gonna do that today? Like, listen, this isn't old-timey days anymore. You're like, well, you know, I'll have to send a telegram and, you know, wait on the Pony Express. Listen, you can drive to see them. If it's too far to drive, you can call them. If you're nervous about calling, you can text them. You can email something. But here's all you gotta do, one sentence. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? I promise you, if you'll just get one sentence out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit will take over. It's just that simple. Whatever that's, hey, are you, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? We ought to have a passion about making sure that people know the Lord. So the truth of the rapture should give us peace, it should give us passion, and if you're here today without a relationship with Jesus, the truth of the rapture should give you pain. And I believe that may be what some of you are experiencing right now in this moment, is there's a pain today, right now in your heart, as you hear us talk about these things, because you know that you're still separated from God because of your sin. You, you, maybe you know a little bit about Jesus, maybe you know a lot about Jesus, but for whatever reason, you have yet to trust him to be your savior, to be your Lord. And the thought that he could come back at any moment pains your heart. And really maybe where that pain's coming from is from the Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit. As he's just putting a little pressure on your heart today to say, hey, Jesus loves you, he died for you, and he's coming and he wants you to be ready. Why wouldn't you say yes? And why wouldn't you say yes now, today? Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and, and your eyes closed, listen, here's where I wanna start. I wanna start with that person, those people today, that right now, this is a painful thought in your heart. There's an awareness in you, the Holy Spirit is making you aware that you're not ready. You don't know Jesus and you need a relationship with Jesus today right where you sit, right now, in the quietness of this moment in your own heart, you can call out to the Lord. You can say something like, God, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died. I believe he lived a sinless life. I couldn't. And I believe he died a death I should've. I deserve to die for my sin, but I believe he took my place, and I believe you raised him from the dead. I'm giving him my life today. If you're trusting Christ today, I wanna tell you something really crazy I'm gonna ask you to do. I know it's crazy, but when we sing in just a minute, just in front of God and everybody, walk all the way up to the front of this room and say, hey, pastor, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Because if God's doing something in your heart in this place today, Satan stands ready to rapture it right out of your heart before you get out this room. So as quickly as possible, I wanna help you get some roots, not only into Jesus, but into his people and into his word, okay? 
And if you give your life to Jesus today, if you're giving your life to Jesus today, there's probably a newfound courage and boldness that won't allow you to stay where you are. You'll end up here if it's legit. For the rest of you, you already know the Lord. I wanna read you some words to an old song that came to my mind this week as I was working on this. It says, up in the hills somewhere in Kentucky is a little old school way back in the nothing where special kids born with special needs are sent to learn life's ABCs. Their teacher, Mrs. Jones, tells them all about Jesus. How in the twinkling of an eye, he's coming back to get us. About streets of gold and pearly gates, how they wanna go, they just can't wait. And she can't keep them in their seats. They're all at the windows straining to see. And it's fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes. Longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All they know is that they love him so. And if he said he'd come, he's coming. And they can't keep their windows clean for fingerprints and noses. Well, she tried to explain to the kids about his coming. Oh, she tried to calm them down, but they just wouldn't listen. They just giggled and they clapped their hands. They're so excited that he's coming for them. And the first thing you know, they're out of their seats, back at the window, straining to see at his fingerprints and noses, pressed to the window panes, longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again. All they know is they love him so. And if he said he'd come, he's coming. And they can't keep their windows clean for fingerprints and noses. Where will Jesus find us when he comes again? Will we be like little children waiting just for him with our fingertips and noses pressed to the window panes, longing eyes, expectant hearts for him to come again? All we know is that we love him so. And if he said he'd come, he's coming. And we can't keep our windows clean for our fingertips and noses because in the twinkling of an eye he's coming back to get us God thank you for the truth and the hope of your word and thank you for the victory we have in Jesus I want to invite you to stand as we worship the Lord church Christian folks Maybe, maybe we'd see more lost people being saved if more saved people were singing like they're saved. If we were worshiping like we're saved. So I'm calling all believers in this room to worship the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And maybe, just maybe, God will do a work in this room and bring somebody to know Jesus today as Savior and Lord. If you need to give your life to Jesus today or maybe you prayed some prayer while we were in here, just be crazy right now and I'll be right down here. Just come tell me and let's help you really know who Jesus is. Come on, church.